Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Facebook as well, live on YouTube, live on Blog Talk Radio, and so um, we are here to continue, as we always do, continuing in this journey, this journey of, I would say, the truth. We can go deep, we can go spiritual, and I know we will (laughs) on whatever subject we talk about, but... We will go deep in on the truth. So welcome to today's broadcast. And first we're going to kick off by saying share. Share this with people. We are here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you want to be a part of our live studio audience, you can reach out to me and find out how you can join us every Thursday right here on location and see some behind-the-scenes action that people are always surprised when they see. They're like, what? I have no idea. That's what it looks like behind the scenes. <laughs> this is how it looks. And uh, in June, 17th through the 20th, we've been telling you about this. Save the date. It's right here if you're watching on Facebook on your screen. Save the date, June 17th through the 20th, Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute. You can now go to www.drpaulaaprice.com and register. Now, I'm going to read some important dates to you, which you will find when you go to her website. Click on events. Um, some deadlines here. Our event is, once again, at the Warm Place Doubletree Hotel. Buy one, get one for $150 is available now through February 28th. The month of February, buy one, get one for $150. You want to take advantage of that as soon as possible. And then we have buy one, get one 50% off. So we get a little less generous after February. <laughs> okay. So uh, the month of March, February 29th through March 31st is buy one, get one half off. So that's 225 for two tickets. 225 for two tickets. We have our early bird rate, our standard rate, near membership rate, congregation of the mighty rate, price university student discount. Man, the gift that keeps on giving. Here's what you need to know, especially if you are a member of NEAR or the Congregation of the Mighty or a student at Price University. These special rates go bye-bye after May 15th. Yes, the event is June 15th, but the special discount goes away May 15th. After that, you cannot use your discount. Please don't beat us down. Don't harass us at the registration table. Don't say, oh, but May 16th, I have the money. This is January. January. So make it happen if you want that discount. Otherwise, it is $150 for everybody after that date. Online registration also closes, uh, I want to say, a few days before the event. 
online registration, and then you will have to pay at the door. But uh, we also have group rates and ticketing for groups of five or more, 10 or more, or 20 or more, like Apostle Nona Parker, who brings 40 or 50, I don't know, this year she might bring 100 people to the event all by herself. Each of those people, <coughs> excuse me, will pay the $20 or more, or the, I'm sorry, the $50, if it's 20 people or more, $89 a person for five or more, $75, 50% off, really, for 10 or more in your group, 10 to 19 people get that rate. So we're excited to have you back. Our keynote speakers, Prophet D is going to be doing an evening workshop with the adults this year as well as with the youth. Apostle Nona Parker is returning. It's been a little bit since she spoke, and uh, she's going to be with us again teaching because she is an apostle to the prophets. She trains up prophets and is very good at it. And we have returning with, of course, Chief Prophet Tolliver. Where would we be? And then the Collins Prophet, Prophet Hakeem and Naeem Collins, they are returning with us. And the one and only Dr. Paula Price, author of all things prophetic. Okay, not all things. But, the, but there are some key things that she's done. I don't know. You may have heard of this amazing book called The Prophet's Dictionary. It's right here. You can see it on the screen. The Prophet's Handbook. And wait, there's more. <laughs> and there are more books online and more books that are coming out, which we may talk about a little bit later, that is going to be released for Whitaker House this year. Yes, the author of The Prophet's Dictionary is back with the book on the prophetic. I just, I need some soundtrack music. I mean, you know what I'm talking about these things. <laughs> this is the media side, I mean, that comes up. You can see some special effects and, and the music to play and, and something to be going on. I don't know. We have to work that out. Maybe next week we'll remember. I'm talking to my, my tech assistant, my life assistant, my world assistant, Rachel. Everybody knows Rachel. <laughs> it's funny because once they start to see your face, they'll do it with you and they do it with me. You're the voice behind the camera, aren't you? <laughs> when we would travel, you're the voice behind the camera, are you? I recognize your voice. I'm like, I am the voice behind the camera. It's very funny. And so uh, with PPPI 2020, this is the year. I could throw out all kinds of 2020 analogies and tie this into a whole prophetic thing. Just get here, okay? Get here. Be God's prophet. Be on time. Be where he is, when he is there. Let's make it happen. It is January. January, 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 January. Plenty of time to pull in an extra side job, a weekend, something or whatever, if finances are an issue. There are so many months and weeks ahead of us to make this happen. I will tell you what Dr. Price tells us and just reminded us last Sunday as leaders in the back room meeting, make it happen. Work your mantle. If you can't make it work for you, don't worry, you won't make it work for other people. Or she told us the indictment is that you do make it work for other people and you're not pressing to make it work for yourself. <laughs> We're so smarting from that. <laughs> if you have visited Dr. Price's Facebook this morning, you will see a post about her newest leadership book, Now That You Are a Leader. And there's a quote. That quote is actually from uh, what she said in our leadership training class. In November, Dr. Price started her kingdom leadership with our near congregation of the mighty team. And I want to pull it up, make sure I'm getting it right here. And she said something that hurt me so bad, I thought, wow, 
She said, a celebrity-minded leader is always angry at the work. I have it that way because whenever I open it up, it'll have her. And so she said, it's always angry at the work. And as leaders, we can become real gymnasts and masterminds. And as I told Dr. Price, Houdini, at escaping, escape artists from escaping the behind-the-scenes work that it takes of readiness, showing up on time when it's time to be there, like, ta-da, not a problem, because that's the celebrity, right? Where's my red carpet? Where's, where's my life? Where's my, where's my crew? You know, back in the day, where my posse at? And you walking in with your entourage, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Celebrity leadership, but when it's actually time to do the work, which is why in our organization, leaders do homework. So we don't just have passive learning. Look, the leader in training is laughing in the room. <laughs> She's like, because <laughs> she knows it's true. <laughs> we have homework due tomorrow and Saturday and the weekend after that and after that. Why? Because we aim to be the best, and we don't apologize. People who want to be the best don't apologize. And so we don't apologize for it. And there's really one road to the top, but that's the statement. And I thought, man, we have to post this. A celebrity-minded leader is always angry at the work. You might not call yourself angry. You might say, but I'm busy, don't we? I mean, we, we're well-trained people. Leaders, we are articulate. That's why people follow us sometimes even when they're not saying anything real. But hey, good presentation. But do you make excuses for not doing the behind-the-scenes work when nobody is looking, when it's not about accolades? She said later on uh, toward the end of the, the lecture, that um, that celebrity leader is always needing affirmation, affirmation, affirming, 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 usually public affirmation, but even behind the scenes. And so it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're training a little puppy, if you don't give them a treat, they won't do it. And then, the, the, like the treat is just the beginning when you're training, but after the training is over, you don't get a treat every time you do your job. Once puppies exit the training period, guess what? You just say sit, stay, and you go about your business and do what you need to do. Treat time is over. And I think a lot of times, you know, in the beginning days of leadership, you are being affirmed, so you know, yes, this is a good decision. Yes, this is the right thing to do. Very good, very good. But when it comes time to get the job done, do your job. And then many companies wait until Christmas to give you a bonus to say, congratulations. We gave you a little extra on doing your job. If the company has extra, that's really, if you do your job, the company has extra. <laughs> if you don't do your job, the company, people don't realize that bonuses and all those things come from people doing their job all year long to the point where there's excess in the pot. So break even years and barely getting by years, you cannot stand there and look at your boss's face and be like, where's my extra stuff? And you know what they're going to say? Well, you didn't bring it in. It's out there, wherever you left it. <laughs> Hard leadership lessons we've learned. Bless the name of God. So you want to get this book, and I, well, there, I think there was something down here for it, but it's somewhere else in my notes. Anyway, so you want to get that book. Now that you are a leader, you can go to Dr. Price's website, drpaulaprice.com, click on products at the top, and just key in now that you are a leader in the search, and it'll pull it right up. That's the quickest way to get to the book. I know some people have already gone there this morning when they saw it because Dr. Paul Price is a well of information, and she has a lot going on, and we're rolling out more products as we see. 
but this is one that came out last year, at the end of last year, and um, we don't want this to just kind of skate by. Like, oh, yeah, when you work for a spectacular, spectacular person, like Dr. Price, I'll talk about you like you're, you know, not here right now, um, helper, uh, then you sometimes don't realize that they produce so many amazing things all the time that you're used to amazingness. And sometimes amazing moments can just skate on by. And so we don't want this amazing moment to skate by. And I want you to know that now that you are a leader, let me see if I can get the subheader right. I can't read. Let's see, a transformation, transformational adaptive guide for newcomers to the world of leadership. So it is supposed to transform you, change your mind about leadership. That's what it's supposed to do. That's what training does, and our leadership training with her. It is such a huge challenge to be a leader because the way you thought about life has to change. The way you approached it has to change. She says over and over and over again, the one thing that most people make when they come into leadership is what? Leadership isn't going to change me. You have decreed that you have failed as a leader. Put by that one statement already. If you have determined that what's happening is not going to change you, then you are not going to be successful. And as she just taught us, you are going to rob the people that you are sent to. You're going to rob them because you're still being you. I'm still me. Hey, guys, I'm still me. And then people don't notice the notice. They don't realize the notice. And sometimes you don't realize how you are really fighting the process of change by holding on to you and the way you remember you and the way you like you and all the things, right? right, right. All the things we just love about ourselves. <laughs> we want to keep, but leadership is a challenge. And so as thanks, oh, Jamie said, I got that book. All right. Phyllis, good morning, Phyllis. Lorna, greetings also to you from London. Hey, London, UK. Thanks for checking in today on the Paula Price Show. Courtney, Francine, Michelle, how are you all doing on today's broadcast? We are excited and thrilled to have you. And we are, let me see here, in a few weeks, in the second Sunday of the month, guess what that is? That is Soul Sunday. And so if you're somebody who is coming to visit, because we have the saints that come in to visit us, um, and periodically, monthly, you want to come in on that second Sunday to Soul Sunday, where you find out God goes in deep with Dr. Price on our soul issues. It's the second Sunday of the month. It is in the afternoon after church. So we have church, we take a lunch break, and then we come back, and she goes all in. This last whole Sunday, I'm telling you, it was like every answer to prayer you can think of. And then what happens is you have to go home and go to bed. <laughs> There's a few witnesses in the room. It's kind of like surgery. After you have a surgical procedure, you need to sleep so you can be healed and restored. That's how you know the soul is an entity. And that when God goes in on it or when life takes a blow, like when you take a real serious blow in life, usually people want to sleep through it. Just, I just have to get away. And so this week you'll see on your screen, tune into God's Royal Network all week long for scripturally organic, culturally unmodified broadcasts. And participate in Wednesday Warriors every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Okay, we're having some technical things happening here. Just that one slide. 
We're sorry. We're having a strobe light show over here on Dr. Bryson's screen. Something's happening with that. Okay, and so Wednesday Warriors, 7.30, Wednesday night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually technically in Bixby, at the Congregation of the Mighty, Chief Prophet Paula Price is walking us through before the garden and teaching us how to take this information that we're learning about pedigree, this information that we are learning about leadership and, and everything else and before the garden, the continuum, how to synthesize it, how to apply it in our lives. We have homework assignments. We have projects. We have identity challenges. How are we taking this information and putting it into our own identity? Dr. Price also said in our leadership class and has told us uh, excellence is not an accident and it's not an incident because we want it to be an incidental, one-hit wonder. You know, hey, that was great one time, and that's all. And so you want to tune in to Wednesday Warriors. Of course, here we are with the Jesus and Paula show on Thursdays. And then Sunday, the Congregation of the Mighty, 8 a.m. Sunday school. And then we have 10 a.m. worship service and the Word. We go live around 11-ish online, but we start in the house at 10 a.m. with praise and worship. And I tell you what, it's the place to be. It is truly the place to be because... We have got to take our role in the success of God's future very seriously, very seriously. We have been taught a passive gospel. I want to say it was two Sundays ago when Dr. Price broke that down, how we take our dreams and put them in a journal. See, it hurt the people in the audience today. Again, you take it and you put it in a journal. We have dream journals and notebooks for years and archives and everything and very little to show for what we have archived. We really do archive the word of the Lord. We bank it. We rack it up. We use it as a trophy. Don't we use it as a trophy where we uh, want to say, hey, I, I had so-and-so prophesied to me and so-and-so prophesied to me and that's and what prophesied to me and this one. And it's like bragging rights of who prophesied to you. What have you done? That's the question is, what have you done with those words? I mean, my goodness, I have the woman of God who has spoken into my life for literally 20 years. My first encounter with Dr. Price, as many of you, ended up in a prophetic word. And I was like, huh, this is their sentence. Never been prophesied to a day in my life. Well, that's not true. The year before. Somebody had prophesied to me. I think that was the first time I had been officially, thus saith the Lord, prophesied. Like, I knew. And Dr. Price prophesied to me through sitting in her chair, and we had just sat dinner, and uh, we were going to school to prophesy. So, you know, we were just kids, leaving home for the first time, like, far away. And uh, her mom was a pastor in town. Okay, sure, you know. She wrote the prophet six years. I have no idea what that even means. But I remember hearing the title, Constructing the Contemporary Prophet. I saw the book on the counter, and I was like, well, what does that mean? And in that moment, I think my brain began to lock down. I mean, I was like, what's a prophet, really? And how do you construct one? And what does contemporary? So the whole, none of the words together. I understood them apart. Construction is like the highway. Contemporary is modern, right? Is that what you want to say? Okay. And I, I didn't get it. But I was so intrigued. 
because I didn't get it. I was intrigued, and I thought, well, this is worth revisiting, I guess. And then the prophet's dictionary, the prophet's dictionary. Now, I know what a dictionary is, but the prophet is this reoccurring theme in this woman's life who I had not yet met at the time. What is this all about? It's so the first time she prophesied, laid it out, and I tell you what, until you are ready for the word, you really can't do anything with it. I mean, she did the first two times she prophesied, and it was laid me out. Actually, I think the second time she did lay me out on the floor. Gone. And got up and still thought, oh, I wonder how that's going to happen. I'm struggling to get through college, okay? We're talking about greatness in the earth and, and all these things in my brain and mind and what God is going to do. And I'm like, how am I going to pass my theater test tomorrow? <laughs> Anybody else been there where you get these words from God? <laughs> but the point of this story is you have got to stay the course. You cannot use the obstacles and the resistance in life as an opt-out for obedience. Some of these things have taken every bit of 20 years to show up into, or to come to fruition, but started showing up, inkling, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, and here we are. And then this is a new beginning for a whole new thing. And so... In that, this is why prophetic education is important. Even if you're not a prophet, you still need to understand how the prophetic works in God. If everything is done by his word, Jesus is the word, I'm thinking we probably need more word study. And not just the word of God sitting around, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? But the actual sentiments of God. Uh, why did he do this? Motivation of the Lord. And, uh, and so that's what we need to do. In moving forward, I'm excited about the book that Dr. Price is writing now for Whitaker House, The Prophetic Primers, because that is exactly where we are, needing to prime this. And she's just been telling me, really, oh, yes, you know, I worked on this yesterday because I'm like, is it done yet? Because I need my copy. <laughs> I want to say to every apostle out there, you need to know everything you can about the prophet. We need to know everything about that office. We have been hearing over and over and over again, even in our weekly broadcast, that the prophet is the oldest institution. It would really do us well, and we would do well by God to know everything we can. I'm back in the, the prophet's training book, the apostle's training book, chewing them up, leadership, homework, and doing everything I can to ready myself for what the Lord is about to release. Because we think the release is like, hey, you know, it's, it's just fun. It's great. It's good times. It's a blessing. It's responsibility. It's, it's devils. It's everybody. There's pushback. There's kickback. Satan's not happy with what God is doing. And we have got to be ready for that. So readiness is not just about, you know, our ability to go out there and preach a good word. But it really is about preparing for the dispensation that he is being released, and what that looks like in action. One of the things we learn here, because we teach it, teach it, teach it, what does that look like in action? When I'm grading papers, what does, great statement, what does this look like in action? And I learned that from this apostle right here. Peopleize, actionize, can, can somebody do anything with it? And so that's where we are today. That is where we are today. Let's see who else is on the line. And 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 Kent, and Chris, I want to get it wrong. Greetings. All right, Maranatha Christian Center Ministries. Hey, how you doing? In Oak Park, Illinois. 
checking in. We got the people the saints checking in from everywhere. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now listen, I want you to know if you don't know already that taking it on with Paula Price is on every week on the Word Network and the Now Network. Thursday, Friday, they are on late night uh, with the Word Network. Early morning with the Now Network. She's already on television. We'll be rolling into shooting season two soon and probably coming back around to do another webathon to promote what we are doing. You know how you have to do the long one, the short one, the sporadic one, so that you all, all are aware of what's going on in our world. So once again, go to www.drpaulaaprice.com. Click on events. Because it is time for you to secure your seat at the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute to come and see what God is going to do. I tell you what, there there's really nothing more wild <laughs> and exciting than a whole group of prophets coming together for the purposes of getting something done for the Lord. Really. I mean, it is a wild time. It is an exhilarating time. It is, we're up, 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 up high in the spirit. Uh, we have people who just don't even sleep during the event because God starts talking. You ready to come on board on the camera? Well, I'll tell you what I really am ready to do is to go back to what you said about the prophets. Okay. And so they're getting all of their stuff going for you. But I think that your comment, first of all, good morning. Welcome to the Jesus and Paula show where Jesus is not feeling. Yay! Jesus and Paula Christ. And I've been watching since we named it, we gave him top billing. Yes. He's a show hall. He has. Like, I'm not a top show, I'm a top. Yes, yes. You know? And so I'm excited about that with the Lord. Um, but one of the things in writing this book, first of all, can we agree, you guys are going to be so blessed. This book is going to change how the prophetic is done. Yes, yes. And I know it because it's, it's packed with wisdom and and information, revelation, disclosures, and action. I am an action person. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you made so eloquently clear is that if you can't talk it out, walk it out, act it out, then don't talk it. Because God cursed idle chatter. Ah. See, God cursed idle words. Okay, so idle words. Idle words. Are words that you don't do anything with. Right. They're just, they're like, like for example, chanting. You know, Christians are in yoga, and so they like chanting. God hates chanting. Mm -hmm. He hates chanting because it makes you feel good. It makes the devil feel good, but it's useless to him. Hmm. And there's a difference between repetition, you know, reinforcement, and chanting. Chanting is repetition uh, and and, and Declarations are reinforced. So the first thing you need to know is that God cursed idle words. Jesus said you will give an account of every idle word that comes out of your mouth. Now, if that means that word comes out of your mouth, it takes form. It takes form because it's sound and sight, but it, it is a idle word because it's A, neutral, and B, impotent. So when I train prophets, I don't have prophets. We don't have prophecy fest in my organization. You know, you're going to run around and say, just what Jesus tells me. That's what you do in prophetic chatter. We do create an environment, a setting, where you can chat about your prophetic. That's in my dictionary. Look it up under prophetic chatter. You need that. Prophets are symbiotic. Yeah. Yeah. And symbiosis means you are going to have to deal 
in, in the animation of God's word, but I don't do it. Um, they cannot give me a prophecy and walk off and say, boom, there it is. I just dropped the word and let, no, no, baby, you dropped hers. You don't drop words. And so I just give you a chance.
commentary. So this is a commentary. Um, I write. I wrote a dictionary. I write words. I said it both. They cannot tell. I told you all Sunday. I don't think I don't know what I want. I know precisely what I'm going after because I wrote it. I wrote the model of prophet I know God wants in this generation, in his future. I wrote that. So that means I'm teaching it, which means when you're learning it, you're becoming it. So I'm telling you, I don't start out with that. God starts everything with the prophet, and he doesn't start with just conversation. He starts with communication that commutes the spirit to the natural. Prophets and prophecy commuters. So you need to recognize that if all God does is tell you to talk and keeps you chatting for him, that does not invalidate your call. It does not invalidate your, your, uh, your uh, service to him, but you are gifting. Gifts communicate. You have to understand it. That's, why we, that's where, how we started. Chat, chat, chat. But the power and the wisdom to manifest to embody, that's something different, and that's in the office because it takes more than a single sound or a lone voice to get it done. So when you think about it, even John the Baptist, Jesus said he worked no miracles, but he ran that, he ran that office. He ran the office of prophet until the great prophet, most prophesied, came. That's another thing. You all need to get in your head and get in your spirit that the prophetic is full of various areas, various spectrum. And we talk about it here. I teach it to my prophets. The prophetic is a part of God's divine communication, but it is not the exclusive thing. You're all going to love this book. I promise you, you're going to love this book. This book will change your life because it will change the prophetic. It will change its trajectory. And you need to know that if you are a prophet, then you are more than a spokesperson. That's a good word, isn't it? Yes. See, if you're only a voice, then you are prophetic. <laughs> if you are more than a voice, then you are a prophet, and we talk about that. You need to know where you fit in the spectrum, because some of you are, I mean, I mean, right now, because the prophetic has, has come out or revived on the platform of speaking, Seeing, saying, declaring, decreeing. You can't even decree without an institution, but that's something else. Something you can say again. No, in the book, you know. <laughs> and so, but if most times you've been trained to see and say, I see, I say, I see, I say. God showed me. First of all, you don't even know what God showed you. That's the officer's job. For example, an official will not go to the wrong company to work. If you are employed over here, you're not going to work across the street just because you feel a different mood. And if they, if you are sent across the street because you're a double agent, or you're not just totally insane. So you have to recognize God is changing the prophetic because he starts everything with the prophetic. So we've done well from the 70s and 60s when this thing first came back online. I applaud the champions that have done that. But that, and that was to get you thinking, to get you thinking along the line of God's prophetic, mm -hmm. of God speaking 
and having things to say, and that the Bible being a single compendium of God's voice, which makes it prophetic. You look up Vaticanus, it says prophetic prophecy. But, but, but prophetic did not start with the Bible. The prophetic produced the Bible. It produced scripture. So God starting everything with the prophet, he did. He started, you want to hear something? You want to lay it up? Okay. Let's get it. As you can see, if I'm going to train my prophets, then my prophets are not going to be showpieces. They're not going to be uh, theatrical. They're going to be the prophetic model that God gave us. So we have that. You know, when you enroll in Christ University, the first thing we want you to know is that we don't care if you can prophesy. We really don't. Just like the medical profession doesn't care that you know how to stitch up somebody. You can stitch them on. They don't really care. When you enroll in their institution, they don't really care about all of that. They use your, your, your instinct for it. They appreciate the instinct. But there's no provision for it at the training level. No, no. Because they're not gonna because they don't know if you understand all that you did and what you didn't do right when you stitched that up under your own steam and and you yeah. assessed yourself. You know? Nobody really cares about that. When you want to build out all the kids about how well you did your Legos when you joined engineering architectural school. Wow, I was a bomb in Legos. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool, but see people real people don't live in Legos. <laughs> They go home, okay, and, and and a lot of the Lego family have gotten crushed <laughs> by misplaced Lego. So nobody cares about your natural talent other than the fact that it qualifies you for consideration in a professional arena. We are the only institution. Like, I talk to people all the time, and they get really upset. They're like, it's a prophetic, so it don't take all of that. Prophecy takes this. Right. Prophetic institutions take the same as any other professional in an institution. So when they tell me that, I just walk away and say, well, you know, first of all, I, don't, I believe that it's only a gift that's going to say something like that. That's true. Only a gift, because you don't see Jeremiah saying it. You don't see Daniel. You don't even see Amos. Amos said, hey, you know, the Lord spoke, who can but prophesy? Meaning, I wasn't a prophet, but I'm a prophesier. And God used me because it'll go outside of his established institution. Wow. I need you all to be aware. Gifters will always tell you it doesn't take much because they're running on their own talent and the individual is in charge of the expression. So they get, they're not prophets. And that's what our problem has been. Now, some of them are prophets who just got locked into the gift mode. Because that's all we open. God didn't open the office until recently. He just opened the channel. Oh, I got to get So we've been running on the channel. We had a prophetic channel so that you know communication can flow. Did anybody hear what I just said? But the office wasn't open, which is why everybody stuck. Because we kept the after the channel stopped talking. Or the channel ran and got emptied out of everything it was. So it's interesting. So it's nice that you have a TV channel, but it's the people who have the network, network. and uh-huh. then the equipment. Yeah. 
behind the entire production company. They are the shot callers. They are the thought leaders. Yes, they are. And so we haven't led because we've been, we haven't, we, you know, we haven't developed our top into thought. Isn't that good to know? Yes. And so when I, when people tell me that, I said, well, you get this. I don't care what, what office you claim. You're operating from the perspective of a gift. Because the gift only comes to work. You're a, a, the gift is a pastor. It's, it's an assignment. A, an assignment is not the same as a duty or responsibility. See, I, so I've done this. So I, I was telling my, my prophets, and bless their heart, you know, Pastor Lassie gave you half of it. I'm like, when I tell you that this is the prophetic, I am not coming from a vantage point of what everybody agrees with. Most people did not agree with me when I came out with constructing contemporary prophets. I had to sell them through the book. And we shifted many things. And even with that, they left all of the office stuff off the table. And all they ran with was the communication. Did anybody hear what I just said? So it's important that you recognize that the gift is exercised. The office is executed and discharged. So many of you, we've been exercising our gift of death. Because that's what prophets have, the gift of God. We can talk about a lot of things, talk on many things, and we needed to get that to get here. This is not a discredit, but it is time to upgrade this office and not just approve its communication. And that's what I'm doing in my primer. I'm laying out the facts, the rules, the parameters, the processes, the steps and procedures. The reason I know the office hasn't been open because too many prophets don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why am I here? Why am I a prophet? I don't have anything else to prophesy. The Lord seems to have stopped talking. Because God is like, okay, I've jumped the communications. I've gotten this correspondence out here. People are thinking about the prophetic. They are working on, you know, working with the prophetic. But many of you have come to a dry place. Mm -hmm. A dry time. Let me tell you something. Jehovah Shalom. You know, I'm stuck on this because I'm right. Almost finished, too. I am almost finished submitting my manuscript to Jesus Christ. I bless the people over here with me. They are wonderful folks. But one of the things that you need to recognize is that if God, if, if if God stops talking, it's because he said all there is to say on the matter. Or he has been talking in the wind and no one is listening. So he stopped talking. But God will always go silent just before shift. And he'll be silent a long time because we like when people, we're humans. We love resting on our accomplishments. We love resting on our achievements. And we don't want to know that our achievement is not the pinnacle of what God wants to do. We want to think of our achievement as the pinnacle. Like, I finished, I jumped out everything I had to say. I did everything God gave me to do. So God ought to be right now comfortable because we think God moves into homes because we move our achievement into monuments. See, but God goes and sets up a new monument. 
and he has to do that by moving away from the old or extending. Because sometimes it's not moving away. I don't see this move. It's moving away. So, and if you have prophets, you need to make sure they listen because God stops talking before shift. And you don't realize he stopped talking until you can't recycle what he has said any longer. Like you have recycled and rehashed until people are like, oh, you don't have anything. God's not talking to you. Oh, you don't have anything. The Lord is not saying anything. He's not speaking. So when God wants to do it, he brings us to a place of starvation. First he starts with deprivation, and then he moves into starvation until we're so famished, we will eat his we will eat him saying, thus said. We don't even know what he said, but we're going to eat that because at least he's talking again. Sugar pie Jesus. Yeah. He's a honey man. I tell him all the time. So God, when God wants to shift something, when change is coming and he has emptied out everything he said, he's getting ready to expire that move and retire a lot of the people who would not shift with him when he was planning and mapping out the shift. So you can expect him to expire and retire. And a lot of these people will expire and and retire and never know what what was wrong. Never know. Won't know what God is doing. They're running around. So what is God saying? The word of the Lord was wearing those days. Yeah. Because we've been hearing the word of the move so long, we didn't realize that we weren't hearing the word of the law. The Lord, you know, he, we weren't hearing that. So God wants you to think differently. So if he's moving, what we haven't recognized, and, and in order for you to jump into God's new stream, you've got to accept what it's made of and what he's streaming. Because God's stream carry more than sound. You realize water, we can hear water coming, but it has more than sound. It's got air, it's got speed, it's got objects that it picks up along the way. It's got steam, it's got momentum. And we know God is changing because there has been no momentum in the prophetic. Now he's got people doing great things, preparing for his future. But until if you can, you know, we all know in part, but until you get the institution, you can't move in this future. You just gonna move away from and into. But if God is establishing something, it's a monumental thing. We use the word monumental because it, 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 it puts down roots. We have pillars. We have foundations. We have ground. We have beams. We have roofs. We have structure. We have order. Divisions and departments. All of that is part of it. Isn't that good to know? I want it to be good for you to know. So when you think about Samuel, the prophetic existed since Abraham because Abraham was a prophet, and he he started out as a Babylonian prophet because he was a prophet. If you're a prophet from the womb, then he would have been that in Babylon or or, or of Chaldea. So from Abraham, the prophetic for God was loosely organized and pretty much spontaneously operated. God spoke, people said, people heard, they said what he said, and then went about to do whatever he gave them to do as, as an assignment. But it was not institutional. It was incidental. 
and we have to know the difference between the two. So on every incident that the Lord spoke, people did what God told them to do. That's C and seven. God said, see, say, do. So then we come all the way down to Moses, and nobody ever tells us when Moses became a prophet. You don't really get that. That's not played up. Now, I'm not sure if it's not a matter of the translations in the Bible or a matter of the, the, uh, uh, the clergy and the theologians of the day being disinterested in the prophet because you can't get around it no matter how, how you look at it. You can't get around prophets in the Bible. You can ignore them, and they've been ignored, and they've been suppressed, and some of them have changed it. Like I looked at one translation, and, and so instead of prophets, they do messengers. So, so uh, that, uh, for that matter, come on here. The DoorDash guy is a messenger. <laughs> you know? The, the delivery truck, messenger. So what is that? That is we don't believe in prophets. I understand that. So, but Moses, somehow or another, was a prophet, and he was going to be a, 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 a literally a prophetic uh, prophet Pharaoh in Egypt until God changed it. Because God, Moses goes over and the bush is talking. He's not, he, he, he wasn't concerned about the bush talking. He was concerned about it not being burnt up. So Moses comes and he is the prophet until God bumps him up to apostleship, an apostolic thing, because he's sent to deliver, so he becomes a sent one, and he makes Aaron Moses' prophet. Because Aaron is the one hearing from God and speaking, because Moses said, I'm slow to tell him I can't speak. So from that moment on, we still have this very loose, by now, you know, greatly multiplied, a very loose prophetic uh, gathering. Prophetic association. They call it a company. You know, this is a prophetic company. But it still doesn't have order. It has organization. And that's very loose. So, and it's more organic than it is organized. Now we move down, and after a while, you know, you know, they kind of move from Moses all the way down to establishing, and we got the priesthood established, and we got the leaders, the 70 elders, and all of that. And, and the idea that prophets exist and participate in is taken for granted. Until they go silent. We kind of take prophets for granted. We, we're treated like fixtures and wall art and uh, cereal in the shower and, you know, whatever, until it's gone. And so when they go silent and they are not hearing, because the fact that it says, and the word of God was rare in those days, means that there was a prophetic body of people who kept God's word streaming. But eventually, as they aged out and died off, no new ones were being called or summoned. God wasn't doing that. See, this is what you should know. You cannot be a strong prophet without your history. You can't talk destiny without history. How do we get here? And how do we, how do we go forward? So, so clearly, that phrase, the word of God was rare in those days, and it is, it is an astounding uh, 
indictment against the fact that we think that the prophets didn't exist. The prophets were always oppressed. They were always suppressed. They were always taken for granted. And they were always discounted and dismissed. Even now, because of who's sitting in power, people have the idea that they can actually be discourteous to a prophet. They can be uh, um, dismissive. They can be crude. And that is because the organization, the institutional piece has yet to come. So we have people who believe God and, and appreciate the Lord, and, and so therefore you have those people who understand the prophetic. But for, for the most part, most of the church has been trained to dismiss and abuse prophets and reject them by their own personal instincts. But that is going to change. Because God starts everything with a prophet. He builds his institutions with prophets. He announces his changes and shifts with prophets. So let's go back to Samuel, because we move from Moses to Samuel. And it seems like between Moses and Samuel, nothing prophetic was really happening. But it did. Moses handed off something, but he did not hand off prophetic organization. That was left for someone else. So he turns around. And Samuel, it says the word of God was read in those days, and people were seeking a word, seeking, going, trying to find out what's God saying. What's God saying? Because prophetic legacy will never die. It will never die. It will go all the way into eternity because God started even at the infancy of our civilization with prophets. He established prophets then. So if once prophets are trained and taught about their heritage, taught about their legacy, they tend to not be as easily overrun. And that's the future of the prophet. So Samuel comes and he saves and he's trained by um, Eli, so he's a priestly prophet. He's bringing things back in order for a season. He is the merger of the priesthood and the prophetic. Because Eli's gone, the ark is stolen, so guess what they don't have? So every, every type of sacrifice, every type of priestly ministration to God is done through Samuel and the prophets. He makes up and develops this group, this body of prophets who are priests and, 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 and the priesthood duty being taken care of to, to whatever extent they could be without the ark and the altar being taken care of by his prophetic institution. And so we didn't have any priests. We know that because David got in trouble because the priests were out of office. God had literally defunct the office. He stopped it, suspended it, because uh, it was so perverse and so corrupt. Its doctrines and everything about it was corrupt. Is this, are, you, are they following me on this? Because you all need to understand that he's about to do it again with the pastorate and the fivefold. Whenever the institution gets so vile that all God gets out of it is toxification, he supersedes it, and he brings his prophets back online to fix it. And when the prophets get crazy, he brings the priests back online to fix it because he works with his institutions. He's got what he's got. So Samuel is the priest. The prophet is raised like a priest. Because he's in the temple, Eli trains him. And Eli does a better job equipping 
Samuel than he does in disciplining his own son. But that all works to it to God's advantage. Because remember, this is it. So so Eli, even though he knows God is having a fit, Eli dies when he knows the ark is gone because a real priest knows that when the ark leaves, you are finished. And the people's blessings are literally put on hold. And that's what pretty much what happened. And if God hadn't had Samuel and David, it would have been all these things. Many of us don't realize, because we haven't realized, that David was coronated, inaugurated king, without the ark. And served for a little bit without the ark. Samuel governed the, the entire country without the ark. People were, they had no ark, so guess what? They didn't have to worry about bringing sacrifices and all of that because you were never going to get into the Holy of Holies if you did, nothing was there. So we can go to the outer court, get all cleaned up, washed up, scrubbed up, cut up, drawn in quarters, and we can go to the inner court and just have the priest kind of dress us as if we're going to go to God, and then that's it. Because the ark is gone, there's nothing in the holy home. We got some candles. We put out the bread, and there's no God to receive it because he's over there with the Philistines. Tear it up. <laughs> Tear it up over there. So when when Saul when um, Samuel is awakened, he's awakened to give a word, and people forget that a seasoned prophet warned Eli before Samuel did. Because it said a prophet came and said, God is getting ready to take you out. Now, that's an interesting thing, considering that, again, the assumption is that because people dislike prophets and people reject and shun prophets, that God obsoleted them. But he never did, and he can't. Because the, we are the microphone, we are the PA system, you know, we are the broadcast network, we are the communications media. So whether you like it or not, we're going to be around a long time. And some of us are going to do well, and some of us are going to need to do better. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. So, uh, so a, a veteran, this is how God introduces a junior prophet or a newcomer. First of all, we ask as if Sam, people talk about Samuel was a youth. Samuel was not a youth playing video games out there in the backyard. He was not a youth sitting there watching hours of television. He was not a youth talking about doing kids' things. He was a youth who was in an adult training program that he had to grow up in. Because Eli had to train Samuel in everything Levitical. Everything. So he's a little kid in a grown person program. So he had to have been a genius. That's what we do with our geniuses. We take our little geniuses and we put them in adult programs and adult settings so that they can be ready for the future, their talent, and their ability was given for them to do. So 
Don't liken yourself to Samuel and don't liken your kids to Samuel if they still playing, if they still outside, if they don't have to read the Bible, they don't have to go to church, they don't have to go to Sunday school, they don't have to learn God, they don't have to pray, then you don't have a Samuel. Because I want you to know the people who have real Samuels release them to the Eli. Stop telling God you got a Samuel that you were taking care of, who's watching every kind of television program, who barely gets through school, who doesn't have to do homework, who has to do sports because you need a you need your boy to be like you. No, you don't have a Samuel. No, you don't. You just have an intuitive kid. Because when you have a Samuel, trust me, a real Samuel doesn't want your stuff. The re- I'm going to tell you how they know you have a real Samuel. They always want God. They're hungry for the Bible. They love hearing God. They love being in church. They love being. See, that's your Samuel. They don't want to play with their friends. And you force them because you listen to some silly psychologist who tells you that what they feel is abnormal. But the great doesn't run with the crowd. The, the potential great is always set aside as a prodigy. Real Samuels are prodigies. You don't have to tell them to read the Bible. They're going to ask you, did you read it? God's going to visit them when, and they're sleeping. They're going to tell you, Mommy, this is what God said. And you're going to say, Honey, that's not God. Because you don't believe it. A real Samuel never misses a God moment or a moment where God gathers. Not real Samuel. And they will tell you, they'll cry, Mommy, I got to go. No, I got to go. Daddy, you can't tell me. They will cry. They will weep because of the spirit of the prophet in them. So don't offer God up a Samuel if you're not going to release it to Eli. Because Hannah came once a year and brought this boy some clothes. <laughs> and went home and, and came and blessed him. And he understood that he was unlike his family, that he was chosen by God. He was handsick. And because he was handsick, he was a misfit. So don't. I'm not, when people tell me, yeah, I got myself a little Samuel. No, you don't. No, you don't. Samuel loved his life. Now, you might think he didn't, but he was, he was put in his life so young, he knew no other. So he grows up, he comes of age, in whatever age that is. I know that if he was going to be the priest, it would have, he would have had to be around 20, 30 years old. If he was occupied with priestly function, he would have had to be about 30. Same age Jesus was. When he started. So y'all can, you know, y'all got some teenagers and, and y'all just running with the teenagers like you think they got wisdom. No, no. The only time God ever used a teen was when he absorbed them. Otherwise, he instructed He said, what, Jesus, 12 years old. Jesus, 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 the author of the prophet. And he said, son, go listen to his father. Listen, don't mess up our plan. Go home. Submit to your mama and your daddy until I'm done. I'll be back. You know the plan. Twelve. You all got twelve years, and you got adults. You wonder why the church is a mess. Y'all all put all these kids up here. Kids who are growing up, you the whole 
body of Christ got to live through their puberty, their adolescence, their immaturity, their failure, their infidelity, their fornication. You got to go through all of that because we still want to give them the indulgences of a kid. While we impose upon them the weight and responsibility of a seasoned, trained leader. You t- you wonder why these kids are turning from God? They didn't even turn to Him. They were literally they're role playing. They get in these positions and they role play. They mimic and they role play. They imitate. And you are so immature in your soul, you think it's God. Shame on you. Shame on you. You won't even listen to your own children like that. But because you think God is the magic man and you think that it doesn't take the biological, physiological, neurological processes that everyone else has to make a minister. This is the same Holy Ghost. So Samuel was probably not a king simply because of the law, the Levitical law, the priestly law. And he functions as a priest prophet and a prophet priest. So I'm, I would venture to say, I see Sage saying that he was about 30. And to God, and that, if, if with people living to be 120, 30 is pretty young. So, so this prophet, this community prophet comes in, and he has to be pretty high because he's going to the high priest. See, there are some logic strands that we don't like. See, we, we will give you rhema and not logos. Because logos is going to give you logic. Rhema is going to give you a discourse. It's going to give you some words, a lecture, a discussion. But logos gives you logic. So this this prophet has to be pretty high to go to the high priest and rebuke him and let him know your days are numbered because your kids are violent. Some of you all are going to hear that this year. Your kids are vile, so your days are numbered. I'm not just going to take you. I'm taking them. I'm taking these vile kids out because I need them off my office. I need them out of my ministry. I need them out my, uh, from around my people. I'm, tank, I'm telling you, 2020, hard reset means a lot of people going home. And they're going home suddenly, and they're going home abruptly because they are vile as Eli's son. Well, why did God say so and so? My question is why God took so long to take them. <laughs> Considering what they were doing to his name and his people, they were defaming them. He's taking home a lot of prophets, a lot of you all. And some of them he may not take you home, but he's getting ready to mobilize you. Either way, you will be out of active service. Just write this down. God is getting a lot of prophets and ministers out of his Trust me, we won't get to July before everybody's going to be scared of God. <laughs> real scared of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not get to July, and God is getting ready to, to I'm telling you, terrify the world. I mean, the whole world. He said, and I'm at the start with my body. So God is making a shift. He's, the priesthood is so corrupt. The schools are teaching vile things. The, the Eli's sons are teaching and marrying fornication, adultery, rape, and molestation to the ministry of the priest. Yes, he is. Those women, they're sitting up there dragging these poor women who can't even figure out what's going on, and they're slaves because of the era. 
dragging them up there on the mountaintop and lining them up and having sex with and gang raping them. Because that's what we would call it today, gang raping. The priests are doing this. Males and females. And they're taught that this is how they get more power, like we teach today. Or you get more power through sex. You get you get to revive your youth through sex. You get to pass your life on through sex. And so the that, the, the priesthood has become very sexual. Kind of like the church today. God knows you have needs. Why do you think he got on the cross to help you manage them? <laughs> we act like it's, this is the rodeo. The things that are have already been. He got on the cross. You think Jesus didn't know about needs? You realize that the man walked around with the spirit of the, the creator? You think he didn't know about needs? And he put himself in the soul of a human? And he did not sin because he ended up being truthful. And the truth was, those were some nasty girls. And the other ones weren't his, weren't his wife. He was not wasting his seed on that which wouldn't be his. So Eli's son, the whole priestly institution was perverse. They were full of drugs. You have Because when you're working with demons, you got to do drugs. Because demons are not the Holy Ghost. They do not have God's omniscient and superlative view of the unseen, even though they're in the unseen realm. God still found a way to encrypt them out. So here we are. Are you all following me? Because so you need to play this for your prophet. See, if I got a prophet that's sexually active, you don't have a prophet that cannot give you a pure word. And you know why? Because the reason that they're sexually active is the spirit of seduction and deception. Because they're unholy. So an unholy prophet can't give you a holy word. And if they do, it's because they are sent to set you up. So when you talk, talk to me, yeah, well, we got all, a lot of prophets, and you shacking up and you think God's going to talk to you, God's not going to talk to you shacking up. He'd rather prophesy to a rock. You shacking up. You going on your prophetic thing, going back to your room to get your little boyfriend and your little girlfriend, and you really want us to think that the word is pure. You cannot give a pure word because you have taken into your body too many impure things. And they mix with your chemistry, and they mix with your chemistry because they mix with, mix with your psychology. You have to really talk yourself into sinning in Christ. And you've got to break the hole. You've got to break it hole. Well, he said nobody's going to snatch us out of his hand. He didn't say anything about leaping. Some of you all are quantum leaping out of the Lord. <laughs> Copy? Y'all leaping from one wormhole to the next. So you can't get pure prophecy from a fornicating prophet. It will not happen. For the word came to pass. Yeah, but you don't know who brought the past. And what's going to become of you believing a perverted word? Because if you believe a perverted word, you have got to believe the spirit that um, that articulated, that orated it. And if you believe that, then guess what? You also have given that spirit authority in your life. That's why half of you all are scared of prophecy, because you know these prophets are not clean. That's why you're scared. That's why you don't want to, uh-uh, don't even know. 
Some of you all can't even tell what they give all, but you're in that, that new creation man, that Holy Ghost in you is saying, you don't want this, this is vile. But I just think God can clean it if they want to be clean. You had to receive God's cleansing. Because if you wanted to stay dirty, he left you dirty. Remember, he didn't come and get you. He made you an offer. You said yes. That's what you said. And we kind of have it in our mind that God is going to force his cleanliness and his purging on his ministers the way we force a bath on toddlers. (laughs) But if that's the case, God will be fighting them so much they're going to get sick because he's too strong for them. It's better to just let them find out the error of their way. So don't get it in your mind. Well, but I just figured that God would do it. Well, God did do it. He told you not to trust them. And you know what you said? Yeah, but Lord, they did it. But Lord, they did it. But Lord, they got money. But Lord, they got that. Yeah, but y'all get the gas buck seduction. A fornicating prophet, an adulterating prophet, cannot give you a pure word. Because every time you have sex, according to Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians, he said you take the sin in yourself. Sexual immorality is the only sin you take in. And we read it, that for sin, what does that mean? Sin means seed. Sin starts as seed. So when you take people's seed, their their, uh, biological material in yourself, you're taking the same spirit that's in them, in you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how are people getting sexually transmitted disease? Right. How are people getting all, kind, all, all manner of mental disorders? The devils are crazy. They're crazy because they're criminals, and they're criminals because they're crazy. <laughs> so going back, I know you thought I forgot. But let's go back. So Samuel, after the prophet gives the entire message that God has received, God will give you the rebuke word on your way out. He will act as if he is tolerating you, he is indulging you, because he's using you to, to get your replacement ready. But when your replacement is ready, he will rebuke you. And he said that. He said, but in the time I visit for judgment, so he will withhold and suck it up and just do the long suffering. You know, suck it up means long suffering, and long suffering means suck it up. So he will suck it up, take it, turn the other cheek and the other cheek and everything else until your replacement is ready. And when your replacement is ready, God swiftly removes you. All of a sudden, people don't like you. They start closing uh, somebody find a piece of garbage. I mean, come on. As much as we love the Cosby's, what else we built? <laughs> a lot of people. So God waits until you empty out the fullness of what He deposited in you, and while you're emptying it out, behaving like a, a an insane person, He's getting your replacement left ready. God tolerated Saul while he got David ready. And the closer Saul came, this is why people get worse towards him. The closer Saul came to being done, the crazier and the more maniacal he got. Why? Because God ceased to talk to him. So when God 
number place. Your time is up. Your days are numbered. And that's if you're older. If you're younger, it's because he's not going to give you a chance to destroy his people and to infect them with your youthful foolishness. All of you all sitting up in the churches with these young kids and and they're as vile as the day is long. Are you saying everyone? No, but how many of them have stood? So far, their track record is not that good. Got to have a girlfriend, got to have a boyfriend, got to have wealth, got to have a name, got to be like the world, got to be like culture. I don't think their track record is that good because teens and young people take a while to know who they are. They don't know who they are. They just know what to do, and they do what they see because they do what they like. You don't know them. You don't even think about asking these kids, testing them out. Nobody now, hey, they do it in the world, but they don't expect to use them. They already know you got a 20-year life or a 10-year life or two shows, then you make three records. So us, we think these people are ready to perform like Jesus when they're half his age, when he started ministry. And then you're upset. You don't even know pubescent ministry. You don't even know pubescent disorder. You don't know that. You can't even figure it out. I cannot, in my wildest imagination, I cannot imagine sitting under a leader in my church over my spiritual life and over my afterlife who I have to go through puberty with. I went through puberty with my children. I know what that's like. You went through puberty with your children, but you won't say what your, your pastor is doing is pubescent. You won't call it pubescent. And then you're going to get mad and tell everybody to, to, to tolerate it because you like being enamored with the kids. But God wasn't. So don't get it in your mind that Samuel was 16, 20, because he had to take over Eli's position in the nation. And God would not have had him do that at 15, 16, and 20. David was a youth, and God made David go 17 years before he entered his person. David was youth. So what they call youth and what we call youth might have been different things. Finally, so God gets this word out, and then all of a sudden, the Lord says, Samuel, Samuel, Eli, please. Samuel said, Lord, yes, I mean, he said, he speaks with Eli. God does it three times. Until finally Samuel, it hits Samuel that the Lord God is getting ready to put him in active service. And he tells him, this is how you're going to get in service. And he says, I'm going to judge Eli's house for the way he let his sons treat me. He said, his sons treated me and my offering and my institution repugnantly. Did he say it? He said he was repugnant. That's what he told him. And long story short, he said, told him, gave him the exact same word that the senior prophet gave. So Eli would know that Samuel heard from God and that Samuel was his replacement. Because we said includes replacement. So Samuel doesn't want to say it. He's like, oh, my God, I'm a leader. My man told me I know he's in. I know he's out there. But, boom, don't let me be the one. Because true mentees have a problem with the downfall of their mentors. 
and you, there's a whole lot of counseling and advising and counseling that's needed to help them get there. Samuel didn't have that. Eli did tonight. He's running the country tomorrow. And he has to run the country in the middle. He has to take this man's job on in the middle of a national crisis. National crisis. The nation is grieving because they, by now they think that there was nothing wrong with what Eli and his sons were doing because they had become, it had gone from being cultural to constitutional. So they can't imagine. They, they really believe God changed the law. Moses' law no longer applies, and the way that they if they received it is not they're going to take it on. And so he's dealing with that. He's dealing with their grief. He's dealing with their anger, their confusion. And who is family? Anyway. Because God doesn't give you the one that you've seen on television all the time. No, 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 no. He's going to give you the one nobody knows. Remember last week we talked about Solomon, the day we family. Because the replacement has got to stay hidden and incubated until the time of their, uh, what they said about Jesus, to the time of the fall. Sam, so Samuel gets this word, Eli, because he, see, God let Eli know by Samuel coming to him twice that he's talking to Eli. Eli's prophet's ear is open, and now he's getting ready to loose his prophetic tongue. And so he said, tell me what he said. Oh, nothing. Because he's like, I don't want to tell you God's going to kill you. You're my mentor. I don't even want you to die, even though I know it's got to be. He said, don't mind me. Tell me what he said. That's the, let me talk about at least being a good mentor to him. He told him. And so Samuel told him, he said, it's the word of the Lord. Well, how did he know it's the word of the Lord? Samuel's a newcomer because an old guard, the old guard y'all keep throwing away, the old guard gave the word first. So that the new God would be accepted. And the new God would be able to be put in power. So he gives him the word. And Samuel says, it's the word of the Lord. Well, you know, if that word was rushing down heaven. It was rushing down the road because war came, the battle came. It may not have been the same day, same week, same month, but Eli knew to get his house in order. And he knew that his entire seed was getting ready to be taken off the planet and never reproduced for God again. Except probably those women, those slaves that they molested. The word of God was rare in those days. But when the replacement got ready, they couldn't have nothing but word of God. The gush had come. And so what does Samuel do? My team is coming forward. What does Samuel do? He reorganizes the prophetic because the prophetic is what did away with the perverse, corrupt, priestly institution. So he reorganizes the prophetic. And if you look, if you listen, Jesus took his entire restructure and he wrote it and he used it so that David pulls on it later and then Jesus mentions it in his time while he's on the, on, on the earth. So the, the brand, the prophetic brand of the day was what Samuel put together. And it worked and it stayed intact until David came. And he comes as a, as a monarchical prophet, a royal prophet, and he takes and elaborates on what Samuel does because it's, it's years. You know, things have to grow, they have to merge, they have to develop. And he takes and he elaborates on it. 
and he does it as a prophet. And nobody questions that David was king and prophet and priest. And Samuel was too, without understanding, because he was under Saul, whom God had long since let go. Now that's backstory. When I train my prophets, I don't just give them contemporary commentary. I don't just give them the cultural trends. I'm like, are you kidding me? This, this institution goes all the way back to before Abel. It doesn't need you to fix it. It doesn't need you to change it. It just needs you to adapt it to what God is doing now. Adaptation is not renovation. This is really powerful. Uh, today we talked about um, just the, obviously the prophet's reality, right? Yep. Um, uh, as, as a prophet is trying to understand their particular place, I think that was important, the distinction that you made early on in the talk today about the difference between being a voice, right, and being an agent, being a vessel. Um, and I, I think that maybe you're helping a lot of prophets find their way with that because we need more understanding of contemporary prophetics of what it looks like right now. Like what does, what does it look like in our time? You know, because you look at the, the scriptural prophets and you see that they were in legislation. They were, because of what you said before in other places, in other platforms, mm -hmm. where you talked about the fact that prophets were national. Yes. So, it, you and know, it was just so different at that time. And it may be even easier to make a distinction between who was, you know, prophesying as Saul prophesied when he was with the prophets versus who was wearing the mantle. Yes. What God called them to do, how God used them. You know, so I think that's so important. Um, and the mantle doesn't come with the gifting. Remember, everybody we read in Scripture, the mantle has to be put on mm. just before they enter because your mantle is a uniform of service. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. That's good. You need to take our classes because we have a class. If you take our self-study class, exploring prophecy and the prophetic, there's a teaching from Dr. Price that's included in that class on the mantle um, that I think will help you understand the comment that she just made. So um, you need to take some of our self-study classes because we actually use her teachings and it does help you to, to go to that next place. Okay, you talked about this, and I was going to ask you about this. Okay, you said... Uh, the church has been trained to abuse prophets. You were talking about prophets were always discounted, dismissed, treated cruelly. Um, you said that is going to change. What is what does that look like? How how will we recognize that that is taking a turn, that that is shifting? Well, let's go back to how I started this. Very very good question. Let's go back to how it started when I talked about Samuel. The moment. Samuel, Samuel was put in a high seat. He became the authority, and he became the standard. So because of his authority being not only in the office of the prophet, but occupying the office of the priest, on, um, because Eli's gone, because remember, Saul went and did the offering, and Samuel was hot. It was like, hold on. No, no, you intruded in that. So the first thing God did was put Samuel in power. Now, we know Samuel had an extensive education because he had it from the age of two years old up. That's a long, long education, would you say? So he, so the first thing he did is he put him in power. Secondly, he removed the power that was over him. Eli, which 
made Samuel a shoo-in. Once Samuel was a shoo-in, he re, literally restructured the entire institution. And he restructured it according to the righteousness of God because it was perverse. It was about devils. It was about demons. It was about witchcraft. It was about perversions of all kinds. It was about fornication. It was about sorcery and wizardry. And God literally took Samuel over all of it. Like he did with David. And so having done that, because if you don't put a person in authority, then, and you don't give them the authority over the problem, see, that's what we don't like to do. So if you don't give them the seat of authority over the problem, it doesn't make a difference how well they see it, how well they assess the situation. Their assessment ability doesn't mean anything they can't Im- implement because they can't execute. So what we need to look for is how God is redoing it. And we are looking at a whole lot of people who are saying, well, you know, God, we got it right, so we can go back and fix it. No, no, no. You can't go back and fix an institution that you improperly or that you um, uh, errantly or incompetently built. If if what you built is part of God's problem, he's probably not going to use you like that in a high seat for the solution. Because who would do that? He has to go outside the ranks. Understand, Samuel was outside of the ranks. He was a prophet, not a priest. David was outside the ranks. He wasn't a strong line. And that's, you see how we do it? So when we go on, God, when God has to go outside the ranks to fix the problem, you understand he doesn't really trust the ranks. Jeremiah, I mean Amos, outside the ranks. See, this is the logic of God. We're so full of rhema, we don't understand his logic. Uh, yeah, no, it's powerful. You just, I was trying to conclude what you just said. This happens when God doesn't trust what's inside the ranks. Um, that's, that's, that's helpful. I think it's helpful because so many, um, you know, powerful voices, they do come from outside the ranks. They do. They come out from outside what's popular. Even in the body of Christ, we see this. You know, people will say, well, why? Why is it like, why aren't you like this? this, this? Because I was, I'm actually spending time getting it from God. You know, so I think that that's, that's huge um, that you talked about that. Um, you said something else I wanted to just note. Okay, just about the youth. Okay, so you said something I think is so important. God used youth when he was able to absorb them. Um, and, and, and even talking about Samuel and his how different his life was. I just wanted to remark on that again um, because this is so crucial, you know, with just us understanding as mentors, as youth leaders, right, as parents, recognizing the kind of youth that God is looking for. We've been talking about this a little bit on Prophet this generation, just what, what does God want out of this generation? Um, but I think that you just hit the nail on the head there of submitted people, you know, and that and that youth are expected by God to also be submitted if they're going to join the ranks of these powerful, powerful icons. You know, if they're going to be used by God in a really powerful way. But I just love that. And, and the correction uh, bringing there that we cannot um, we cannot then install like a, a, a young, young leader and give them the indulgences of a child if we're going to expect them to bear the weight of a seasoned leader. That was really powerful. I, I think that that's one area where we miss the mark there. Not as if God doesn't want to use children powerfully or even want to speak to them or minister to them, you know, but just recognizing what posture they have to be in for that. But the question that I have is you talked about Samuel being, are you saying that Samuel was older at his time of, 
um, emerging. Like after Eli's death, he would have been older before he was installed in power. Or just this clarity on that, because the you know we know that the scriptures use the term boy and child when God first appeared to him. So were you saying? Are you saying he was older at that time, and we misunderstood that, or are you saying he was older when it was time for him to step out and take Eli's place? Well, again, I'm saying that he was older. Here's what I want you to understand. I love this question. Here's what I need you to understand. Eli um, sat in the seat of the high priest. So let's first put things in context, because sometimes we don't we like we like to let concept act as context. So Eli is the high priest. His sons are priests. And he's been in this seat a long time. Now, so if he's high priest and God is not abolishing the priesthood, which he didn't, he just transitioned it. He just literally, he lent the priesthood to the prophetic until he can clean out that mess. Then he would not use someone younger than the law would tell them a priest should be. A priest should be 30 years old. And the, the priest attendant, adjutant, if you will, 20 and above. So we can't say he was a king. The question that I cannot answer is the time lapse between the word of the Lord, the prophet's word, and then Samuel's word, and the actual fulfillment of that word. We don't know, but we do know that God did not give him the reins of power as a youth. As a king, not national power. That's you talking about national power, and the only the only order that took national power is as the children were the what the king because of inheritance, because the bloodline demanded that they pass the throne on to someone with the same bloodline which is why it was phenomenal that God took Saul's line, because Saul is Benjamin. I mean, you know, um, y'all get it. This don't happen. And he shifted from Saul's lineage to David. That was a major thing, because that was against the rules. I mean, that was against his protocol, his pattern, his precedent. But he set a precedent, and then he did it again with Solomon and Jeroboam. But otherwise, when it came to the priest, you had, it too had to be, you know, inherited, but you had age limits. And the age limits were important because it took a long time to train them. And to, you know, they had a huge job. They had to figure out every ill ailment, every symptom, every disease. They had to know every uh, alchemy. They had to know all of them. That's a huge body of knowledge that you have, and, and you can't have it at 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, or obviously not 20. It took Jesus 30 years to be ready to do three and a half years of ministry. And he, Jesus, it was his ministry. He fed it up. He wrote it out. He spoke to the prophets. That's how come Jesus, they said, well, Jesus did the whole lot. Yeah, he wrote the book. I do my book. No. I do my books. I'm like, but I, I didn't write that. No, no. And so you think about him. He comes as the author of the law, the author of the priest, the creator of everybody, and God still makes him an anonymity. 
for it. He's got a business. He's running business. He inherits his dad's business. He's over his father, his mother, and his brother. He's a busy guy. And he comes, and he still got to be first. And I've watched without saying, but I've watched different ministries and leaders, and even though they don't say it, they will not put children in power. Because children want to have friends, children need to be light, and if your child has not been thrown into the womb of that thing, like Samuel, since they're two, or David at 17, if they've not been thrown into it, there is no such thing as the Holy Ghost is just going to teach it. The Holy Ghost is just going to teach everything. Why do we have school? Can you give more insight to what you said earlier about how the office has not been open since so many people attribute prophesying to the office being open, but prophesying really is the lobby. Mm -hmm. You know, no, you have no keys to get into the office. No. You're just in the building, and you're barely, and you don't realize you know, how you get in somewhere. You're like, oh, yes, I mean, I'm just going to go up and, oh. And the person at the front says, um, do you have an appointment? And the elevators are locked, and you can't actually go anywhere. You can't go up. Yeah, you know. And then security comes, and, yeah. And so can you explain that? What's it, what? What does that mean that the office is not open? Is not open when people are prophesying. Well, for one thing, um, I, for my, for, and this is my experience, but I've watched and researched it. I introduced the office versus the gifting because unto construction, and so I wrote the book constructing a contemporary prophet. But it was all about your gifting, and even after that, they ignored it and kept saying, "Yeah, well, this is your gifting, and this is your grace gift, and they they, they preach gifts." Clearly, they didn't know anything about the office. Mm-hmm. You know, they preached gifts. They preached um, that this is your gift and that you have to work them. As a matter of fact, the manifestations of the Holy Ghost were erroneously called the nine gifts of the Spirit. That's true. That's true. So everything was about a gift. It was not about official service because, remember, people broke away from denominations because they didn't like it. They didn't like it. They did not like order. They did not like denominations. They did not like, you, you understand what I'm saying? So they did, so everything was about the gift. And so the gift was about prophesying. It wasn't about the prophet doing anything but bringing the word of the Lord. Matter of fact, we fumbled for so many years about the work of the prophet. We don't know what a prophet does. You know, I, I wrote an article once. Well, when a prophet is not prophesying, what do they do? Cricket. Yeah. On that question. And it was. And so, so they never thought about it, so, and then they behaved like evangelists. They went from place to place holding prophecy lines to prophesy to people who came to their gathering. They didn't teach you anything more about the prophets because the church would know more about God than they do. So they didn't teach you about the Bible prophets all that much. They excerpted this and that. So when you think about it, there was no office. There was an exercise of your ministry, and my ministry happens to be speaking for God. Mm-hmm. So I go, and then when I do the research, cause, because God says to me, you're a prophet, and he, I mean, I don't know, I guess he built me this way, obviously this, but he 
said, you're a prophet. I said, well, what's that? And I read the Bible. I looked in the Bible, and I said, well, I don't see anybody doing anything kind of like that. <laughs> you know? Now, granted, I was kind of new, but I saturated myself in people's teachings and, and whatever. Every time I know with certain things, we're 80, you know, 1980 and stuff. So I said, well, I don't know what that is. So I said, I'm going to the store because I was still employed at the communications company, and I was, and, and they never put anybody in position unless they trained them, and they trained them from what was written. They already had it. I mean, the first training we had was meet our company, not your position. Meet yes. our company. Yes. This is how we began. Yes. This is why we do what we do. This is how we started. This is how we grew, and on and on. So I thought I was pretty much trained from that. That was my training. So I go to the bookstores. At the bookstores, I go. I live in Jersey. I go to Connecticut. I go up to Massachusetts. I go all the way to Texas. I go to the middle of America. I, every bookstore I went through, I went there to look for a book that was speaking to me about the prophet, what God said. And I went. So then I go there. I go, I, I go to England. I went to New England, to England. I went to England. I went to Singapore. I stopped in all of these places, and I tell you, I couldn't find the book that said that. I found experts and slippers of this and that, but I never found a book. So I come back, and this is like a, a couple of years. You know, God is saying that you're a prophet. I didn't even know it was a prophet. I would stand up every Sunday, and I would tell people all the stuff they did. Folk would come in, and I'd tell them their life. I would speak how they did it. And they said, well, how did you do that? I said, because God just said it. I didn't know it was unusual that I heard God like that, but also that I translated what I heard yeah. into the words that I spoke. I didn't know that was unusual. I'm Baptist. That's all I know. And we know Baptist was not dealing with that. So I didn't know. So finally I sit down to God and I said, God, you keep saying these things to me. You send me out to say these words. I mean, he would send me out to say things to people. I was kind of like Jay who go in and say stuff and run. God had to say something to run. Jesus, help me. And so I finally said, he said, write it. I said, write it? How can I write what I haven't seen? He said, I'm telling you, he said, do you know why I made you go on all of the signs in there? <laughs> no, I didn't. He said, so you can get used to my voice, and you can understand what I'm saying. So I sat down, and I began to write it. Well, I could write manuals because of the training I had. You know, we think, you know, like, I always like when we look at our favorite stars on television, and say, well, they just, they just, you know, burst on the scene, and you think they just burst into the business? Yeah. Okay. No, you don't burst. No, no, no. <laughs> and so... So I started writing it, and I wrote it, and when I tell you I wrote, I literally went to heaven. He took me out of myself, and I could see everything, and I was just writing and typing and writing and typing. I, read, I bought a ton of books. My library now is still expensive. I read all of these books, and of course, you know, I knew the Bible. I wrote the thing. So I'm thinking, in the book, he said, I want you to write something called Gifts versus Office. He said, because my people are running on gifts. And they think it's my office. And so I'm thinking, now I know it is. I'm studying all the books on gifts, and then I'm studying office. I don't have to study office too much. I'm in an office in my career. So I understand the rules and the principles, protocols, et cetera, and how that works and whatever. But I studied it again. I studied it from politics to business. I studied it. And I finally wrote it. And when I wrote, because right now it's gift versus office, and half people don't know I started that. In Constructing the Contemporary Prophet in 1993. The book was released in 94. Still there. Still, okay. 
And so, and he said, I need you to show the attributes and the, the signs of the gift persons in office and what that means. And he said, just keep in mind, the gift applies for the office. You go, you take your gift to an interview. Okay. And your gift is always interviewing. All right. It's always your gift is always auditioning. Right? The word auditioning is how we get audience and audience. Audience, so isn't it? So your gift is always, always audiated. It's always the open. Yeah, play her. She's over there. And so, and so Anisha. So he said the gift. The, your gift is with you all the time, and it's under your individual domain. You want to sing, you sing. You don't want to sing, you don't sing. You can sing in the shower. You can sing in your car. You can sing on the bridge. It's all right. We'll let you sing. He said, but when you want that gift to become profitable, it has to receive authority. So we're running around, and all of these people are running on the gift. And the gift, listen to this. This is interesting. The gift is certified by anointing, but the office is credentialed by an authority figure, power to act and to involve yourself in other people's affairs. And so I went through, so this is a study. I mean, this is, trust me, this is 87 to 93. This is me and Jesus. So finally, and I write the book in under a year because it's dictated to me. I'm not writing it. I'm not, it's under a year. Yeah, my daughter, Ask Janita. And we took a lot of hits, blah, blah, blah. But so I'm writing a book, and I'm sitting here, and I can't stop writing. When I tell you, it, even the book I'm doing now, when I write a book, I live in that book. I live in the world, in the realm of that book. And they'll tell you, I've been almost done with this one here. And if I hadn't had 10 days of spiritual warfare, I would have been done. So I write the book with the 10 days of battle, and I write it. And so I, I finish this book. I really thank God for it. I finish the book. I look at the book, it's 398 pages, 10 units, 300, and it's the first manual of its kind on the prophet. And when people read it, even today, they can tell you, oh, now I feel like a prophet. I know that's real. Okay, now I understand what's expected of me. I have a model, I have a template, I have some guidelines. I can read it, and it has an index. I put an index in there. I knew nothing about writing books. I want you to know. People kept saying, you know, but it could have been edited better. I thought to myself, baby, edit. You better be glad I got that thing out. <laughs> Devil showed up and preached to me when I was writing that book. Honey, that's how come I know the false religions, because they came to me when I wrote that book. And they began to try to throw their stuff in. And if you don't have a discerning ear, and if your ear is not attuned to God's frequency, to God as a frequency, then you're going to listen to anything spiritual and think it's the Lord. So I write the book. It, I said, God, I wrote it. So now what? We lost it three times, my daughter and I, because we didn't, we were in those 98. Anybody remember? <laughs> you didn't have the save and keep. They didn't have the save and keep. And so it, when it lost, it was gone. So we had to do it all over again. So we finally got a hold of the floppy disk thing because we were in the floppy disk thing. So I write the book, and, and all of a sudden, this is no joke. I said, I don't know how to get the book published. I don't know anything about publishing. Man walked off the street and said, we're looking for writers. 
We will publish your book. It will cost you this much, but you don't think. And they published my book. This big, we said, now we've not done anything this big, but we can do it. Okay? Published my book. And I said, well, now the book's published. How are we going to sell it? <laughs> How do we sell it? God sent me here to Tulsa. And when he sent me here to Tulsa, he sent me. Now, I'm a new prophet. I don't know good prophet from bad prophet. I don't know nothing. He sent me here. I teach, I teach it in a little, because I don't know anything, a little round circle. And I said, well, I'm going home. And I was on my way home, ready to leave, when George Manette called me. Somebody told him about the book. And that's how the book made it into Tulsa. And from Tulsa, the world. Still crying. Yeah, they want the book to come back. Yeah, we're bringing it back, probably mid 2020. But but we're bringing it back a little bit more refined, you know. Yeah, we have. I have a whole. As a matter of fact, I, from that book, I wrote Church Prophets and Biblical Prophetic. I wrote about the Maori Prophetic Institution that so influenced ancient prophetics of that day. I had I have a whole chapter, chapter ten on witchcraft and the occult, laid it out, and and the book had. Obviously, it had narratives, it had reviews, it had exercises, assignments. It looked a lot like the Prophet's Handbook, and a lot of the Prophet's Handbook is in that, came from that book. But I just want you to understand, I introduced Gift versus Office. So when I tell you the office wasn't open, I was clear it's not open for two reasons. Number one, I had a vision. And in a vision, I was in heaven, and Jesus comes, and he comes like he's coming out of his his um, headquarters, and he comes in, and I'm in this room, and it's old, and it's dank, and it's wooded, and it's stinking, and it's dusty, and it's locked in. And he comes in, and I'm standing there, and he says, um, he, he, he opens up the window. I mean, literally, opens up every, and they're boarded. He, he, and he just goes, all of this light floods into this, and I realize it's an office. And then... I realized, I said, well, what is it? He said, this is the prophet's office. I haven't opened it yet because I don't have enough material out there. So he sits down at his desk, and he has two piles of paper like this, and he alone is occupying the prophet's office. So I said, but what about all these things? He said, they're not prophets. They're prophesying. He said, they're they're speaking for me. And they're saying what I want to say, but they can't execute what I must get done because they have to be trained. In order to be trained, there's got to be material content. Now, a lot of people have written a lot of things since then, but most of it is still gift based, and most of it is still gift defined. The prophetic is not gift defined. And so, and so we go on, and so then after that, I'm, you know, I start having to write all of this stuff, and I write the dictionary, I write the handbook, I do church prophets, I write the uh, I create the uh, standardized ministry assessment so we can assess them, and, and now we're doing these primers. So he said to me, here's the end of my statement, because I know we're running out of time. I hope it's okay that I took all of the time because you needed to know. It's a full answer. It's a loaded question. I know. <laughs> and so, but you know the office isn't open because people don't know what to do with the prophetic now. They don't have a sense of it. And we, we, I mean, after we say the word, now what? And so we taught people how to prophesy. We taught them how to hear God to prophesy. We taught them how to move from their tongues to prophesy. 
but we haven't taught them how to discharge the office. And that is what my prophet's handbook does. It teaches you how to discharge the office. So there is no office or official consciousness because remember, we don't like rules. We don't like order. We don't like people telling us what to do. We feel like gifts should be free because, you know, we're the free land. Gifts is free talent, you know. And it, and the gift is measured by anointing, not by authority. Hmm. So we talk about somebody being anointed. That's a personal thing. And that anoint, what they call anointing is just an unction because God says anointing comes last. So what they are is they are unctions. We put a little grease on it, unjoint, we put that on it, it's wonderful. See, these finite things. Now, why am I saying this? Because you need to understand, and I want you to hear me with the ears of today and not yesterday. But you need to understand that no institution, let's go on. The prophetic has become a move that has become a station, but it's not a monument. It has, it has lost its momentum because we, we, want, we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We, and everything is about the individual. But the office belongs to an institution. All offices belong. Your comp- you, you're not in that company because you sing well. They put, but in order for you to continue to, to become a, a monument, for you to become a, a standard, for you to become a stronghold, you need an institution. And that is why the prophets are confused. They're wandering, talking about, well, what do I do? All right, I just keep giving words, and all I do is give words. And, and so the prophets don't know what to do because the prophets were operating or exercising their gifts and not discharging the office. Now, I talked last week, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3 talked about it. We have different ministries, different gifts, and different operations. And we've been on the gift. And we've been on the gift because we is always we got started it with talking. So we have a channel. We we we've been communicating. We've been giving the word of the Lord. But we have never we've been institutional. I mean we've been individual and not institutional because we lack the constitution of the office. All right. I think that that's a good statement to give on, so we're going to do that right now. We're going to take just a moment to give uh, towards this program. I want to tell you that we appreciate you and your seed. We're going to ask you to plant a seed today again. There's some different ways that you can give. You can do Cash App, and that's Price's handle there, is Dr. Paul Price. You can also do PayPal.me slash Dr. Paul Price, or you can text to give 918-603. Help me, my brain just froze. 6625. So you can do that. Rachel's going to put it on the screen for you guys right now of the different ways that you can give toward us. If you want to become a regular patron of this program, we want to encourage you to do that. You can find out the information on takingiton.com. We need that. We need you to become a regular supporter of the Paul Price Show and all that you see God doing uh, with Dr. Price. And we encourage you to be a part of that with us, takingiton.com. And don't forget, you can take a class on some of this information. We want you to to take this beyond the show. You can, you can keep on receiving 
And Thursday is one of your favorite things. You love listening to Dr. Price on Thursday. Can we encourage you to take it beyond the show and sign up for some self-study classes? They're rolling out next week. A prophecy is part of those classes. Prophetic guardianship, uh, the series one, the first series, it totally concentrates on this exact thing that Dr. Price is talking about, really understanding what makes the prophet an officer versus a gifting. So I want to encourage you, if this really pricked you today and you said, hey, I need that, then I want to encourage you to go online, visit us, priceuniversity.org. Let's take a self-study class. So this is the time of giving. Let's do that. Let's give our offering today, cash app, paypal.me, or your text to give, and the information is on the screen for you guys. Well, we've come to the end, and we have, um, I'm establishing something called Prophetic Edit. If you're interested in moving from gift to office, or you want to, to, to bridge the gift and the office, then I need you to contact us and tell us, um, and, and, and it's coming through Price You, so you can go to Price You, or you can text us at 877-419-1299 and say, I want more information about the gift office thing. We'll let you put thing in there. How about that? So that you can, uh, you can do what it takes. Because some of you all are stopped, not because God finished with you, but you've gone as long as you can go in that, in that path. God wants you to become one of his officials. And we're going to have to figure out what that looks like, and we're going to have to learn to do it. Now, you're going to have a lot of people because the rebellious never wants training. It just wants training. Oh. So you're going to have a lot of people that take this, and they're going to just say, well, I'm in the office. I'm in the office. And then you ask them, where's your station? Where's your location? Where's your ward? Because the doctor had a ward. He see he fucked that guy and then he went back to his ward. <laughs> Before he gets me, I'm going to go back in here. I'm taking my shelter. So when I make a statement, there are a lot of things that I'm still learning. But when I make a statement and I say you're an oracle, you're an oracle. If I say you're a gift, you're a gift. If I say you're an officer, you're an officer. And if I say that you are this level prophet or that level prophet, I'm not telling you something that I just observed. I'm not running on just perception. I'm running on expertise. And that's very different. So, again, text us at 877-419-1299. And make sure you join us Sunday at the Congregation of the Mighty where God's saying, and 8 o'clock, study school, 10 o'clock, church, and me. Amen. I love you, dearly. Because this is important. And I'll tell you something. A lot of times you just want to get it for free, but I want you to know a free gift is just that. A free gift is a single gift with no reproduction. Amen. Wow. God bless you.